Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, we are uh, still in our 40 days in the Word spiritual growth journey, and it's been really good. Thank you for uh, uh, many of you responded to my call out last week uh, to uh, let us know about God's activity in your hearts and lives and relationships and career and uh, hopes and dreams uh, as you've gone along this journey. I I got some great, great stories. So would you keep that up? We're collecting these and um, just it's a a great faith builder for for me. Some of you uh, gave us permission and some of you are... um, actually telling your story, as you well know. Next Sunday is our celebration Sunday when we wrap up this 40 days in the Word. And uh, many of the Dogwood Church family are going to be sharing their, their faith story about God's activity in their lives across this uh, journey. So make plans to be here. It's going to be a, a great time to wrap this up. And then we step into the holiday uh, season, uh, fully into the celebration of the coming of our Lord our Christmas time. And um, so you'll be getting ready because every year at Christmas time, we, we take what we call the, uh, the Dogwood Christmas offering. And it goes to strengthen uh, the ministry of this church to make more followers of Christ and better followers of Christ and love God and love people here and as far around the world as we can. You'll be hearing more about that uh, as, as uh, we move along. But today, I need to, I need to ask your help. Um, sometimes the, the talk that I give and, uh, on Sunday mornings is, uh, is designed just to be inspirational, you know, to charge you up, kind of make you ready to charge hell with an empty water pistol. That's not today. Sometimes we're dealing with a topic or an issue out of the scriptures that uh, would touch a real need that you feel uh, in, your, in your life, kind of a hot topic kind of issue. That's, that's not today. But today is probably more important than e- either of those two. You see, you are responsible for your relationship with Jesus, and you are responsible to grow in that relationship, in relational closeness to Christ. It's our job to kind of teach you how to do that, uh, to feed yourself, Well, today we're in one of those messages in this 40 Days in the Word series uh, where we we teach you to feed yourself accurately. Uh, And we're going to deal with a matter called interpretation. So this is going to require you to think a little more. You're not going to be able to go on autopilot during the sermon. Um, You're going to have to engage emotionally. You're going to have to engage mentally. You're going to have to engage uh, spiritually and, and physically. Just... Ramp it up a little bit. Sit up straight. Whatever, whatever it takes. Uh, you know, I'm a good cure for insomnia anyway, and so you need to, you know, whatever you can do to stay with me here because this is really, really important because we're going to talk about how to get to the real meaning of Scripture because remember what I've told you for 27 years, the Bible doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. And it's freaked about half of you out who've never heard that before, but you'll see where I'm going with this. What I mean, the Bible is somewhat of a closed book. It's an ancient document, uh, thousands of years old, written in, in, by 
over 40 different authors and then many across about 1,500 years. And, uh, and so sometimes when we read it, it, it's hard to understand what it means. It's easy to see what it says. But now what does this, this mean? And we're going to talk about what it means today. There are four parts to Bible study. There is observation, which is what we've been dealing with these first five weeks, uh, and that is what does the text say? Just what does it literally say? What's right there? The second is interpretation, which is what does it mean? What, in other words, what is the eternal timeless truth that we find in this passage that would apply to, to everyone across the ages? Then there is correlation, which would be what are other verses or passages of Scripture that help explain this truth. And finally, there's application, which is what do I do about it? What will I do about it? How will I be different today uh, in what I know, what I think, what I understand, what I do, what I feel, how I relate? What will I do today as a result uh, of the truth in the passage? Today, we're going to focus on interpretation and correlation. And to do so, I've, I've chosen a vivid passage of Scripture and I'm going to read it. You're going to follow along. And then I'm going to model for you how to get the right meaning from the text. For you can do this. God, in, God intended for you to be able to do this. So I want you to turn in your Bibles. If you've got a hard copy of your Bible, uh, if you have uh, a digital copy on your smartphone or your iPad or, or uh, anything like that, let's go to the Gospel of John the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. This is, this is full of meaning, and so we won't be able to... We could really spend a year in this passage, but we're going to take one verse uh, that's a problem verse and try to get to the meaning. But let's read this. This is the Lord Jesus speaking, and He's speaking to His disciples those closest to him in all the world, here's what he said. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit for, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask what you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. 
This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have, known, I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. This is God's word. So let's focus for our purpose today on uh, a problem verse. It is verse 6. And um, let's take a look at that. Here's what Jesus said in verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, let me see your eyes. Uh, there once was a radio preacher who, who said this over the radio about this verse, and I'm quoting him here. Here's what he said. The fruit, therefore, the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. If you don't bring people to Christ, God will throw you away, you will lose your salvation, and you will burn in hell. People leapt up to go witness all of a sudden all over the place. Yes. Uh, is that what this verse means? How do you know? Well, no, it does, this is not what that verse means. It is a gross misinterpretation of the verse. So how do we know what the correct meaning is? Well, let's, let's walk through this and find out. You can, you can uh, learn the meaning of any text of Scripture by following four basic rules of interpretation. Four basic rules of interpretation. And, uh, and here's the first one. Jot this down. It is context. You might say, make it a two-word phrase, historical context. Historical context. Um, you want to ask in any setting, any scripture, uh, who is the author? Who are the recipients of these words? Who is speaking? Who is listening? Why are they saying these words at this time? What time in history is this? What's the geographical setting? Where are they on the planet? What time of day is it? What are the circumstances of the culture at the time? What's the bigger historical setting? What's going on in history as this is taking place Specifically, you want to drill down on the historical setting. Now, in John chapter 15, the historical context is really a, a greater conversation. It starts in chapter 13, verse 1, and goes through chapter 17. John chapter 13 through John chapter 17 is one conversation. It is a great discourse. It is, it is the Actually, these here you find the farewell words of the Lord Jesus to his uh, disciple. Now, his disciples, he had invested approximately three and a half years 
in their lives. And I mean, not just an hour a week in church. It was they, they traveled together. They went through life together. They ministered together. He, they were together three years, 3.5 years almost. He had invested in them. The close, these were the people closest to him in all the world. And he loves them. He loves them deeply, and so he knows what is about to take place. He knows that in a matter of hours, he is going to be arrested, put on trial falsely for his life, sentenced to death, and executed in a horrible, terrible fashion. And he knows that they are going to be shocked and devastated by the events of the next few hours. And so he's trying to prepare them. I mean, these these are... you know, famous last words almost, farewell words to the people that he loved the most uh, in his life. And so he takes them. It is the time of the Passover celebration in the Jewish faith, a very, very important worship festival. And so he arranges for a private room in the upper room to have an intimate setting with his 12 disciples for this Passover meal. So he can just be with them, worship with them, fellowship with them, speak to them. And so we find this beginning in chapter 13. Let me read this to you. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, by the time of supper... The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas uh, Iscariot's son, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he uh, he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will. Well, you'll never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you will have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, serve one another. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. So chapter 13 up to this point, up to this point emphasizes how much Jesus loved these people, his, his disciples, how much he loved them. And uh, now the rest of the chapter, he begins to emphasize how much they are to love one another. Over and over, he hammers this. You're to love one another as I have loved as I have loved you. Then in John chapter 14, the conversation continues. 
Same conversation, same, same context, and Jesus makes a number of promises to his disciples. And there, there are four big ones. In verses 1 through 6, he promises that he is going to prepare a place in heaven for them, and he will come again and receive them to himself. In, in verses 12 through 14, he promises this. He says, you're going to be able to pray now and ask for anything in my name. In verses 15 through 25, he promises this. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to live in you and teach you and guide you and comfort you. <coughs> Excuse me. In verses 27 through 31, he gives this promise. He says, I'm going to give you the gift of peace. Don't be troubled or worry. So there we are in chapter 14. Now in verse 31, the last part of verse 31 uh, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, get up, let's leave this place. And so they leave the upper room and they begin to make their way to the garden of Gethsemane. On the way out of the city to the garden of Gethsemane, uh, they are in vineyards. They are walking through vineyards, just very similar to the, to the grapevines, the muscadine vines that we have in our orchard uh, out here, and, and looked very similar. He is walking through, touching these vines, pointing out these branches, holding the fruit that was on the grapes that were on those, those vines. And so we, we begin, he begins the the conversation that we see in John chapter 15. He didn't just pull a metaphor out of the air. They're in a vineyard. He's pointing it out. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Branches are supposed to bear fruit. That's where where he is. And so in verse 11, he says these words, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Now, knowing what we know about the setting, the historical context, what are are the odds? What are the odds that Jesus, uh, of Jesus giving his last words of encouragement, his farewell words to the people, his dearest friends, what are the odds that he would do so by saying, you're going to lose your relationship with me, you're going to lose your salvation, and you're going to burn forever in hell, and I'm telling you this so you'll be joyful. Well, no, 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 no. Given the historical setting, that interpretation is nonsense. See, you got it? You got it? Context is king when it comes to properly understanding the Scriptures. And so we need to remember that. So that, that's the, fir- the first basic rule of Bible interpretation is what? Context, context. The second is this. It's a two-word phrase. Key words. Key words. We want to define the key words in the passage, primarily the nouns uh, and the verbs. But also the, the prepositions have, are very important for the, the proper meaning. But, uh, but define the key words. Now, two key words in John chapter 15. One is the word love. The other is the word fruit. Both of those are mentioned nine times The word fruit or fruitful is mentioned approximately 40 times in the New Testament. Very important word. But as you look at all the New Testament, you'll find that the word fruit has several different meanings. For example, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, 
we find these words, the fruit of repentance. Well, there, fruit is used to mean repentance. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 29, we find these words, the fruit of the vine. Well, it's speaking literally of communion wine. In, in Romans chapter 7, okay, you with me? A lot of stuff here, so tune in. In Romans chapter 7, verse 5, we find these words, he bore fruit, or we bore fruit for death. There, the word fruit is referring to a sinful lifestyle. Well, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we find these words, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you should know what that one means because we spent August and September studying that passage, and we know that it means nine character qualities that God will produce in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, we find these words, the fruit of light. There, the word fruit is referring to spiritual truth, righteousness, moral excellence. In, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, we find these words, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. There, the word fruit is referring to new believers in Christ, new followers of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, we find these words, praise to God the fruit of our lips. And there the word fruit is referring to praise, to the worship and praise of God. So we got a challenge here, don't we? In, in John chapter 15, what does Jesus mean by fruit? If we're going to bear fruit, what, what does he mean? Well, we've got the historical context. We've defined the key words, but we don't have enough information yet to make the call, do we? No. So we need to go to the third basic uh, rule for interpretation, and here it is. It is clear verses. Clear verses. When you come to a passage that is difficult to understand, go to passages of Scripture that speak to that topic or that issue very, very clearly, and you allow the clear verses to interpret the meaning of the difficult verses. Clear always trumps unclear. And so you, go, you let the clear verses interpret the unclear. Now, there are at least three uh, clear, 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 clear <clears throat> characteristics of bearing spiritual fruit in John chapter 15. So here we go. First is verse 4. Jesus said, Remain in me and I in you. <coughs> Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither... Can you unless you remain in me? Well, what's the, what's the clear meaning here? Bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. You see, it's right there. If I remain in Christ, I will bear fruit. Now, remaining in Christ means to get really close to Jesus and stay there. To abide in Christ. To endure. To stick with that relationship. To get really close to Him and never, never depart. He said, you get, you, you get close to me and walk with me and your life will be fruitful. Now here's another clear verse. Verse 8. My Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Well, here's a clear meaning. Be fruit bearing glorifies God the Father. It's very clear. Remaining in Jesus produces fruit. Producing fruit 
glorifies God the Father. Here's, here's another one in verse 11. I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete or mature or full. Well, what's the clear meaning? Fruit bearing brings joy to our lives. That's the obvious meaning. When we live a life that is fruitful for Jesus Christ, we find ourselves to be joyful people. And so clear, clear meaning there. So we have checked the historical context. We have defined some key words. We've looked at some clear verses. So we're still left with the question, however, what exactly is fruit as meant by Jesus in this passage? Now, I've actually given you some hints already, but the text has not told us yet. So we go to the fourth basic rule of interpretation, and it is obvious meaning. <coughs> Excuse me. Obvious meaning. Ah, oh, thank you, Brother Steve. I don't know if that's going to help, but it sure is going to taste good. Let's talk amongst yourselves a minute. <coughs> I don't have very many. I don't really have something that would qualify as a thorn in the flesh, but I do have a splinter. <clears throat> and it's I have a weak voice. Now, why would God call somebody to preach and give them a weak voice? Well, he tells you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So <clears throat> go read that and you'll find out. <clears throat> That's what he told me. Read this. And I was a little flippant. It didn't actually happen that way, but I did come across it. Okay, we're back to the fourth basic rule is what? Obvious meaning. Now, let me talk about that one just a moment. You look for the obvious meaning in the Scriptures. Now, let me give you two warnings. Talk about some things not to do. You look for the obvious meaning, not some esoteric, mystical, creepy, creepy, woo meaning. Like, you know, you don't go for all these people or documentaries or, or writers and novels where it says the Bible's full of secret codes and, 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 and hidden meanings, uh, you know, and you must find these. Uh, and when you get to the bottom of all this, you'll find out that the Antichrist is the mayor of Vidalia. <clears throat> God, help us. The Bible is not full of hidden secret meanings. So next time you bring another Dan Brown novel to me, I'm going to say, it's just a novel. The Bible's not full of secret meanings. It's not full of secret codes. It's not full of numerical codes. Well, didn't, you read the, didn't you read the Bible code? No, Lord, no. Why would you waste your time reading that stuff? It's... it's Wacko, it's woo. And there's some of you that are really drawn to woo. And I don't know what to do with you half the time, except don't do that. There's no benefit to that, at least not to you. It sells a lot of novels and makes a lot of money. Don't go to woo. You see, the Bible is right up front. It's right up front. You could say it this way. God did not give us his word to conceal. He gave us his word to reveal. Yeah. 
He wants us to know Him. He, he's done everything. I mean, He came and showed up in person and then left us His Word. He wants us to know Him, who He is, what He's like, <clears throat> and for us to enjoy Him. Now, also, don't try to press meaning into every little detail of a verse. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's imagine that I, I wrote a letter to you, and in that letter I wrote that I had I have purchased a, uh, a little red play kitchen for Allie, my granddaughter, for Christmas. Fun stuff, and I've got it at Walmart. And I, just, and I wrote that to you in a letter. Now let's say that 2,000 years from now, some, some scholars in another culture, in another language, discover my letters, and they are, they are interpreting and studying the, uh, the book of Keith. <clears throat> and they come across that sentence in that letter. I, I bought a red play kitchen for, my, for Allie, my granddaughter, at Walmart. And, and so many Bible scholars today and writers today would go like this, and many teachers, God help us, but they would say, okay, now, I wonder what that means. Well, there's a kitchen, and in every kitchen there's a stove, and stoves produce fire. That must mean hell. And it's a red stove, red. That must be the deepest part of hell, red hell. Well, then there's Walmart, Walmart. What does that mean? Well, if we separate those two phrases, wall is a barrier, defined as a barrier that holds something back. That must mean that God is going to hold back sin. And marked is part of the word uh, martyr, which means <laughs> give your life. Sometimes I felt like I'd rather give my life than go to that place, to Walmart. But anyway... <clears throat> He's going to give his life. We know what that must mean. It must mean the Son of God is going to give his life to hold back sin so you won't burn in red hell. No, it doesn't mean that. It means I bought my granddaughter a toy. Don't try to press meaning into every little detail. of Look for the obvious meaning. Look for the obvious, obvious, obvious meaning. Uh, let the text speak for itself. So let's look at at least three verses uh, that are four that uh, from this section of John's gospel, 13 through 17, that are, have some obvious meaning. Here's the first one, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you uh, want and it will be done for you. Now here's the obvious meaning. Remaining in Christ produces answered prayers. That's what that means. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Here's the obvious meaning. Answered prayers bring glory to God. Here's another one. Jesus ends his talk with a, uh, a famous uh, one last mention of prayer in John chapter 15, verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Meaning, I bear fruit by praying in Jesus' name. Now, that's not a, that's not a magical phrase. That means I put my hope in Jesus and, and his identity, all he is and all his power. We pray to him. And he does the work. He does the work. 
remaining in Christ produces answered prayers that glorify God. And get his work done. Getting close to Jesus and praying according to his will and his ways brings supernatural answers to prayer that make our lives fruitful for God and bring him great glory. So, so there you are, just one, one example. Now, what would a personal application be for you and me? Well, one could be, I need to make sure I'm really close to Jesus, that I am, that I am, I am increasing in intimacy with, I'm growing in intimacy with, enjoyment of, love for the Lord Jesus. I need, is there anything intentional in my life that's kind of keeping me separated, any ongoing intentional patterns of sin and disobedience that I've just been kind of blowing off, but it's hindering my relationship with him. Well, I need to turn from that. I'm going to turn. I'm going to get rid of my sin. I'm turning to Jesus. Maybe that's your application. Mine was, as I studied this, I need to quit teaching about prayer so much and talking about prayer so much. And I need to pray more. I need to talk about it more, less and pray more. I mean, pray, get close to Jesus, and then whatever he puts on your heart, pray to him for those things. It'll be the things that break his heart. It'll be the things that he wants to accomplish in this world and in your own, in your own life. So we're going to take some time and pray now. We've got a few minutes, five or six minutes of unhurried, unrushed prayer time. So why don't you turn this into a time? Where you say, open up your heart to God. Are you walking with Jesus? Are you close to him? Are you sticking with him? Are you as close as you can be? And are you staying right there? Then, then start, if not, start the journey. If you are, pay attention to what he's putting in on your heart and mind. People or issues uh, that you should bring to God and pour out your heart to him and pray for his will to be done and his kingdom come, his reign and rule to come in the lives of those people or, or that he get glory in those circumstances, that he give you guidance to know how to serve him in those circumstances. For some of you, you need to begin the journey by turning from your self-driven, sinful life, placing your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, trusting in him to forgive you your sin, to adopt you as his child, to give you the gift of eternal life, to give you the gift of abundant life here and now. Become his follower. Well, let's pray. I'm going to be here at the front if anyone needs to pray. Uh, want me to pray for you, but uh, let's take some unhurried, unrushed time. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.